I've challenged myself that I don't stop my thoughts or my speaking if I'm walking by somebody. Mm. I don't care if they hear because I want the universe to hear it. What is happening? Welcome back to your favorite podcast, The Grow Life Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Mahaley, and I am joined in studio by a very special guest. Casey Orvitas has joined me. She's so talented wildly expertism. <laughs> you guys will know what that means very soon. <laughs> we dive in to mental health, to habit forming, to we just talk about dopamine. We have some controversial opinions that you guys are going to love. <laughs> and I'm really excited for you guys to get exposed to Casey. She's a very special guest. Make sure to leave a five-star rating for you. Share us with your friends. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're not watching this on YouTube, you are really missing out. And also, if you subscribe, it helps me bring on bigger and better guests and bring you guys more episodes. So please subscribe to the YouTube. Get ready for this one. I'll see you inside. Casey Ordivas, welcome to the podcast. Ordivas? You don't even know how to say my last name. What is it? Orvitas. Welcome to You're the podcast. <laughs> Orvitas. We've been friends for how long? I don't know, a few years. I've always put the D before the V. Why do I do that? I don't know. You're just making things up. So I was just talking at the gym earlier today. You know, I just turned 30, what, last month? Um, and I was like, hey, every day I'm realizing, like, like my brain is sharper than ever in certain areas, but, like, I'm working so far ahead of where I'm at right now that, like, I feel like I feel like words are coming to me. Like, I don't know how you see words, like, how you communicate, but like, words are coming to me. And, like, I'm reading the first letter and the last letter in my brain, and then I'm, like, <laughs> siphoning our, it let's through. Let's just, like, put this that together. <laughs> <laughs> so fix me. <laughs> I do have a PhD in psychology, but I'm yeah. not sure I can fix that, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever hear? I know that you did. The guy who was fixing fixing something a long time ago, and he was like nailing into the frontal lobe of people. He was like splitting off their frontal lobe. Yeah. So you would come in for surgery. He'd go into your skull, and then he would just cut not not cut. He was like yeah. hammering something that would sever your frontal lobe uh, from being connected to the rest of the brains. You ever? Did you? Oh yeah, yeah. That's old psychology land. Old. I mean, there was old. a guy. It started. He was a real work like railroad worker. Okay. And had a spike go through, I think it was like from his chin, like through his head. And this yeah. was, I don't know, yeah. like 1800s or something. Yeah. And his frontal lobe mm -hmm. was essentially in disarray, for lack of a better term. But they were able to remove the spike that went through his brain. Yeah. And he was able to continue to function and operate like a normal human, but his personality was entirely different. In a good or a bad way? Bad way. Okay. He became a worse person, someone oh, really? who was not careless, like unlovable, like things like that. So that's where a lot of the thoughts with like, um, like frontal lobotomies mm -hmm. that kind of came into play. What was that? Oh, there was a movie with- There was. What is the That's what I'm referencing. Shutter Island? Okay. It right. might be. That might, I don't know. I'm not sure. Something like that. It was yeah. with Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay. Yeah. And awesome they, act. they were doing that to the, the patients on this island where it was like a prison. It was yeah. basically like experimenting. But yes, you can actually like totally screw up your frontal lobe. It may change your personality, but you can continue to operate like a normal human. Casey, what's going on in our frontal lobe? 
Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> All kinds of things. This okay. is like the area of your brain that is most developed. Okay. So like 21st century humans, you know, back caveman, cavewoman days, that was not something that was super developed. Okay. So in that area is where we see a lot of things like attention, decision-making, self-control lives okay. in that area. Okay. Um, oftentimes we also see, this is where your growth mindset kind of lives as okay. well, because it comes into play with, you know, attention and control, decision-making focus, things like that. How many areas of the brain are there, Casey? That I don't know. And it's kind of, it depends probably on the person you yeah. ask to. First things first, I'm not a neuroscientist and yeah. I won't pretend to be. Yeah. But it depends on who you ask. Because some people will say, oh, there's the frontal lobe, there's the occipital lobe, there's the me you know medial region. Like there's a lot of different ways you could look at it. Yeah. So, okay. Um, in your frontal lobe, it seems like this is where could I say that discipline is formed here? Mm hmm. Would you agree that discipline is a driving factor of habit formation? Um, and to what extent would you say discipline is a factor of habit formation? Let me elaborate on this question a little bit more. It seems like some people just can't can't get it done. Mm -hmm. It being forming positive habits to conduct their life. They know that this is wrong. Or maybe not wrong. They know it's mm -hmm. not In the alignment. best. It's not aligned. Mm-hmm. What what's going on? Why what's what's happening Why? to these what's people? <laughs> it, yeah, it, it doesn't make sense. You know, in in my line of work, I'm. You come. There's people that will come into me, and I send them the blueprint to achieve exactly what they want to achieve. Uh, I don't understand how it doesn't get followed. Oh, man. So we can go a couple different directions here. We could go, let's talk about habit formation and let's talk about like motivation versus discipline and all of that conversation. We could also talk, which I don't know if we want to go there, like coaching methods and coaching practices yeah. and how just maybe handing someone a plan, which I'm not saying that's like what you're doing. Yeah. I know you take care of your people and you yeah, talk yeah. to them a lot, but a lot of coaches out there are just saying, go do this. Yeah. I created this beautiful, fantastical plan for you. Why aren't you doing it? You're paying me. What's going on? And now they're saying, you know, this person's uncoachable. They, well, they don't know how to build habits. First, and then, <laughs> and then I want to circle back. Oh, I'm, to I'm very the, passionate about that yeah. area, if you can't tell. <laughs> so so I want I, I want people to understand the psych route first. Mm -hmm. And then let's tie it into what we are doing in real time when we're coaching others, not even just fitness coaching. Yeah. You know, there's life coaching, there's mindset coaching, there's business coaching. There's all of these things going on. Um, so maybe we can tie all that together. Let's, let's take the psych route first. Yeah, for sure. So as far as habit formation goes, we're really just trying to repeat something over and over again, create new pathways in our brain. I'm sure you've heard of neuroplasticity before. It's this idea that you are constantly changing the connections in your brain. And this is something that we only found out recently because we thought, you know, by a certain age, your brain is just kind of, that's the way it is. Okay. But we now know that your brain is constantly changing, creating new connections, pruning back old connections, things that you don't maybe do so much anymore. So with that said, if you want to create something to become more habitual and just more call it natural or automatic, mm -hmm. you need to put in the reps and continue to do it and work on it and set up your environment in a certain way, obviously have certain resources at your disposal. I mean, the list goes on and on. Okay. But as far as you're asking about like dedication and like determination, yeah. like what that means from a habit perspective, I mean, for sure, I would say if I had to pick an area of the brain where you're like dedication or determination lives, it would be that frontal lobe region, okay. which is actually an interesting conversation now that I'm putting this together because- your habits and things that are automatic often lived in your like medial region of your brain. That's where like kind of your more um, like animal brain, emotional, 
things that work on autopilot. That's like our aut- autonomous. Right, system of exactly. Autonomy. Like breathing and things like yes, that. Is that exactly. true? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So same kind of like area, same ideas, just like stuff. So as things become more habitual, you know, we wash your hands after you go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. If the sink is broken, you're still going to go up to the sink, even if you know it's broken and try to turn it on and go, oh, yeah, that's right. Because it's just so automatic and habitual at that point. So that area of your brain is entirely separate from your prefrontal cortex, which is where you are making those deliberate decisions, conscious decisions, self-control, things like what I would assume, like dedication, determination, things that require true conscious thought, right? So you're kind of talking about two different separate regions of the brain too. Can I ask, what um, what does separate mean in terms of if our do our frontal lobe in that autonomous region lobe, I know that's not the right the right terminology. <laughs> that's what I'm going to call it. Um, that's the explain like I'm five version. Do they communicate? Of course. Okay. Okay. Of course. So, okay. It's not like one shuts off and you're only using one yeah, part yeah. of your brain. Like they're you're constantly communicating to different parts. The biggest thing here though is like where you're diverting your like call it energy, call it resources to. Okay. So if, for instance, as an example. Stress is also, it will light up that middle medial region of your brain with those more autonomous, automatic behaviors. So if we're stressed out, it's like we're doing the things that are just like autopilot and more automatic for us because we don't want to take additional energy to like think, right? So this is where people say like, oh, it's hard for me to exercise self-control when I'm stressed out. That makes sense from a neuroscience perspective because we're diverting our attention and our resources and our energy to stress, which is a different part of our brain, Mm -hmm. and away from our prefrontal cortex Mm -hmm. where self-control lives. So it's less about like these things are always communicating and always connecting. You're not turning off certain areas of your brain entirely ever. Otherwise, you'd be like brain dead in that capacity. You wouldn't be able to function. But we do divert energy towards different areas of the brain depending on kind of what's going on in our environment. Fascinating. When you're under high amounts of stress, you divert back to what's comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's what is – yeah, because it's less – it takes less energy to do the stuff that's just like automatic and, yeah, comfortable in that way. Have you heard of many um, – I, I, I don't like using the term successful because that's – there's a different definition that you have than what I have. We'll talk about maybe entrepreneurial uh, uh, success. Um, have you heard of people who have very minimal wardrobes so that they don't have like any decisions to make mm. because um, there's so many decisions they have to make. There's so much stress throughout their daily lives. Um, first, I want to ask, what do you think about that? Um, I, I have firm opinions on it because I've kind of set my life up that way. Uh-huh. Um what do you think about that? Do you, do, do, do you think at that point you're limiting your own self-expression, in my opinion, mm-hmm. which I believe is an important part of being a human? Totally. Um, like what's your style? What's your fashion? Yeah. What's your how, – how do you want to express yourself? Like you're just wearing you know, the same suit every day or whatever yeah. it is, right? Yeah. Um, do you think there's actually something to that or you think it might be a little bit more placebo effect that, well, we're taking this decision off the table so we can make um, all of these? I mean, ultimately, if it is a placebo effect and it's still working for you, then hey, who effect. cares? But um, I do think like – this is like, is this a fashion conversation or like <laughs> a neuroscience conversation? Which I, is so I, funny I, that they're I, like I think together. The two, I think the two can overlap. <laughs> Clearly. So, so when I'm – 
I'm uh, this is this is tongue in cheek. This is very funny. My fashion has elevated, as you can tell. Uh, <laughs> very clever. <laughs> my fashion is much more elevated now than it's ever been previously, and there's a certain um, confidence that I walk around with that that I feel allows me to do my job better. Mm. And that's like you hear this a lot, especially for women, right? Like, get up, get ready, put yourself together. Yeah. Like, you're gonna have a better day if you do that. And like, I I totally agree. If I'm yeah. just like no makeup today, I'm just gonna stay in pajamas like whatever like it's you feel less motivated yeah. and you feel less prepared to like take things on yeah. so I do think that there's some something to be said for that however when it comes to like okay I'm gonna wear a black t-shirt every single day because yeah. I don't want to take decisions off the table yeah I will say that there, I'm like, where do I want to start with this? So there is a theory called ego depletion in okay. the psychological literature. And it has since been somewhat debunked, but we also had like 600 plus studies to showcase that this is a thing. And it's essentially looking at how you are depleting your self-control throughout the day. Okay. So people sometimes confuse this with like, um, like decision fatigue and same, same kind of concept that you have like... X amount of resources to make decisions to exercise self-control throughout the day. And as you use that, you get to the end of the day and now it's like, I can't not have an extra glass of wine because I had such a stressful day. I made so many decisions. I had to use my self-control so frequently, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. This makes sense like at face value. Okay. And we had research to support it that as you make more decisions throughout the day, as you have to use more self-control, you essentially are like taking water out of your self-control bucket till you get to the bottom. You're like, I have nothing left. Okay. But in recent years, this has kind of shifted in the literature. In fact, I had to literally update the health mindset coaching certification program that I run yeah. because this research has shifted. So I went in and like, like okay, self-control section needs to be changed. And they're teaching it very differently. I, I spoke to my PhD advisor okay. on how they're teaching this. And it's changed, which is that's what science does, right? Mm -hmm. It evolves and things change over time. Mm -hmm. So now we understand that that is possible, that you can lose energy, like deplete your resources mm -hmm. to use self-control throughout the day if you are using it more. Mm -hmm. But that's only true in people who believe it to be that way. Yeah, yeah. So your mindset matters the most, which obviously I'm like, duh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mindset is like my everything. But so the people who believe that their self-control resources are limited throughout mm -hmm. the day, they only get a, a finite amount to use when they wake up and then it just gets drained the more they use it. If you believe that to be true, that will be the case for you. If you believe that like, actually I can rise to the occasion and use my self-control, doesn't matter how much I've used throughout the day, then for you, it doesn't matter how much you use it. So ultimately it's like really what you believe for yourself. Fascinating. Really fascinating. <laughs> Placebo effects beyond real. <laughs> and this is a very extreme mm -hmm. part of that. We've known for quite some time that, you know, what you believe, what you constantly tell yourself, what you're reinforcing, mm -hmm. um, you know, I had Megan Long on talking about manifestation and how huge her and I are on that. Um, an example for you, I don't mind sharing this. Yesterday, um, I woke up and there was a, I was like, you know what, it's been a while since I've had an X amount of dollar day mm. um, in terms of new acquisition. And... I, I got up, I'm taking, I'm doing my rounds. I, every day I have the same routine. And while I'm walking Peyton, I say my daily intentions out loud, uh, rather loudly too. Mm -hmm. 
like in Alston with headphones in by myself downtown. Justin shouting yeah. down the street. Yeah, like people <laughs> definitely think I'm one of the cracked out homeless people. Like, damn, he's at it early today. <laughs> but at 6 a.m., no one's out. <laughs> like, no one's out. But I, I've also, um, and um, so I set my intentions for the day of I want to have X amount of dollar day. Um, makes me feel good. And I went out and I, I eclipsed that goal mm-hmm. all day. My entire aura was, I am money. Like I attract money. Like my talents and people have to have access to my talents. This is a necessity. This isn't a choice type situation. Mm-hmm. You can't do that every day. You get to the end of the day and you're freaking drained. It has to shift. Maybe there has to be like yesterday was this today. My intention was I want to have X amount of work done before I come onto the podcast. Like I have a very special guest on the podcast that like, I really want to, I want nothing outside of these walls to come in here. So I set that intention. I talked it out loud this morning. Now I got here. All of that to say, when we constantly are reinforcing telling ourselves a story, I know habit formation, well, this might not be true. It's like 27, 28 days, some of that. If you do something for 28 days, is that bullshit? Let's hop into that in a little bit. (laughs) But if you do this long enough and you start believing what's going on, you will become the thing that you're saying. Mm -hmm. There's a crossroads that I want to dive in as deep as you're comfortable diving into of people telling themselves they have certain mental issues that aren't actually going on. Oh, how many of you are triggered? <laughs> Who's upset? Who's upset? This guy gets a thumbs down today. Fuck his podcast. What do you think about that? Do you believe that? I think so. Let me I'll take it from a certain direction. Something I talk about a lot is just how you take ownership over things. Mm-hmm. So not necessarily like ownership over, of course, like responsibilities throughout the day and thing, your actions and whatever. But literally, how often are you saying to yourself, this is my anxiety or I have to deal with my stress? And you're saying my, 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 like you're taking ownership, like my depression, my whatever. So I hear that a lot. But how different it can be if we stop doing that and instead say, like, I'm a person who often deals with anxiety or goes up against stressful situations. And now it removes that thing from you and it becomes much more easy and understandable how you can actually overcome it versus like, it's actually part of me and who I am. And this is very much like a growth versus fixed mindset conversation too, because as soon as you start saying like, my stress, my anxiety, my issues, my blah, 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 you're in this place of like, this is something that's part of me, which often is less changeable. And at the at its core, having a fixed mindset means that you feel like it's something that you can't change about yourself. It's part of you as a, like, that's the type of person that you are, right? So as soon as we can start to remove it, someone with a growth mindset might, might like start to see that's something that is outside of me that yeah. I can now have like control over and I can change because it's not part of who I am. Yeah. So I think the direction that you're going with this conversation can be very similar to that where it's just like, I'm deciding that this is something that's part of me or who I am. You know, I have ADHD. And so that is now part of my personality. And now it becomes impossible for someone to actually start to change some fa- facets of their their diagnosis or what if they're self-diagnosing, whatever. It doesn't matter at mm-hmm. that point. The more you feel like this is something that's changeable and not necessarily part of like who I am, the more likely you actually are going to do it like point blank. 
I wanted them to hear it from a PhD. <laughs> I want to tiptoe into the ADHD conversation. Uh-huh. I know it's not your area of expertise. You also don't need to provide any feedback here. This is much more so for the viewers, and I have a few clients that I'm helping through Fair. this. Yeah. I'm okay putting that out there because I feel very morally correct in the work that I'm doing here. Um, Adderall is awful for you. Um, absolutely miserable for you. There's not a chance in hell that I believe that a majority of the people who have been prescribed Adderall, myself included, need that. Mm. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a PhD. I'm a dude who just, I'm a nerd. I'm just a dude. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just a dude, <laughs> which means you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> You, you, you've known me long enough to know how I operate. I, I love researching things and becoming as close to expertise as I possibly can with the resources I have available. I started educating very heavily after a Huberman podcast where he was discussing Adderall and ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, as it's something that my entire adult life, well, if I look back at my childhood, um, early... Uh, <sighs> Early in 2020, I realized uh, I have a lot of things going on in my brain. Mm-hmm. And it's happening a lot of places. You start talking to people. You start getting some diagnoses and things like that. And then you start living with it and believing. Mm-hmm. Every time I was taking Adderall, maybe three or four times a week, at my size, I just, this didn't feel right. I'm very into in my body, of course, as you are. Mm-hmm. When I put something in and it doesn't feel right, it really freaks me out. Mm-hmm. It's like, this thing's resilient. Like, this is a fucking machine. Like, it gets pushed all the time. Mm-hmm. And now, like, I took this little tiny half pill and it's like, like, it's rejecting it almost. Uh-huh. But most people aren't in tune enough to feel that when it comes in. Um, my understanding of ADHD is it, I'm not going to dive into and give my full under uh, my full definition because I'm not qualified to do that. It pertains to dopamine. Mm-hmm. Would you say that that is correct? It's 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 uh, dopamine is a large factor in ADHD. Yeah, and what's interesting actually is that the very 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 little time I spend on TikTok because I have to. Yeah. Like <laughs> there yeah. is like this whole movement about ADHD and dopamine and how. Yeah. I've seen TikToks about people who have ADHD that are unable to create habits. Funny how this comes back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they can't form habits because they have ADHD or that they really have an issue with like dopamine seeking activities and things like that because they have ADHD. Mm-hmm. And again, from like turning this back into a mindset conversation, because that's what I do, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that becomes a really big issue. If like people are out there consuming these things and now they're thinking like this is just what I have to deal with. This is who I am. Like, oh, I can't form habits. Well, then why even try in the first place? And then we have that whole conversation. But I do think like whether it's ADHD or obesity or some other diagnosis, any sort of diagnosis coming from someone in a white coat with a stethoscope around their neck, it becomes like, oh, this is like serious. This is part of me. This is a thing. This is like not something that I can just like turn around and go change, which is a really big issue. And we could go into that discussion with obesity too, when the American Medical Association decided to classify obesity as a disease. And that's, I can really have a good conversation about that. Um, But yeah, long story short, I definitely am not an ADHD expert either, but 
the role that it plays, like, I don't even want to like talk about it because I don't yep. want people who are listening to start to think like, yep. oh, well, that's what that means for me now. Yep. You know? Yeah. I, 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 that's why I said, let's tiptoe into this. <laughs> Just um, <toe. laughs> I believe that, and to be honest, I learned a lot of this from Huberman first. And then I found he had a guest on and I can't remember his name, but I follow his podcast now um, who taught. They just talk so much about dopamine rewiring mm-hmm. and like the things that I w- was getting a high out of previously. Um, partying might be one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, girls could be one of them. Um, everyone gets high out of money. Like everyone gets a high. And I think it's okay to like get a high out of money. Um, but things that might be more pulling away from the goal versus working towards the goal, um, were giving me these dopamine elevations. Mm -hmm. I believe we have the ability, our brain's so malleable. It's the neuroplasticity, Mm -hmm. like what you're give, what you're forcing the actions to partake in those neurons that fire together, they stick together. Right. So Mm -hmm. if you're habit forming, um, and every time the stress comes up, your autonomous reaction is those neurons fire together and you do that action, right? Did I get such a high out of that 5, 10 a.m. alarm? Out of jumping out of bed, pulling my pulling my uh, blind up, turning all the lights in my house on. Like, I, I, I wake up high. <laughs> we got all the dopamine we need over here. I'm fired <laughs> up. Step Dude. off Adderall. Yeah. You don't like, that Justin Mahaley. Yeah, you have <laughs> nothing on me, dude. Like, if anything, you're going to bring me down at this point. <laughs> I get my cardio. I get my I get my activity. I would love to hear what your daily routine is, or maybe I would also love to hear what you think of a, a good daily routine is for someone who has currently a fixed mindset coming from the places we're discussing, mm-hmm. who wants to operate this into a growth mindset because that overhaul challenging. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you believe it takes a good bit of time. I don't know, but that's really challenging. Mm-hmm. I also believe if people can just cold Turkey, stop addictive drugs, you can kind of cold Turkey become a better operating human being from a mental component. I'm sure there's no research that, you know, would, right. would show that, but there's research that says you shouldn't be able to just like stop very addictive drugs, cold right. Turkey either. Mm-hmm. What should a routine look like? What, what, what should a routine look like from I, I'm stuck to, I need to spread my wings and fly and I need to grow. Mm, oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's tough because like, listen, someone could have no real like semblance of a morning routine and still be operating from a growth mindset. Right. So like okay. want to put that out there that like, you don't need to have like, Oh, this is exactly the thing that I do every, I have my like 25 minute morning routine, whatever. Yeah. Like and those people like could have a growth mindset. You also could not, you know, can I ask you what that, mm-hmm. what, what that might, what that might look like? Because that's actually a really interesting take something. I, I'm not an expert in this field. Mm-hmm. I felt like every, you know, when I look at my friend groups of people mm-hmm. who are growth mindsets, like alarm this time, this at this time, this at this time. And the people who are a little bit more fixed mindset, oh, I'll just wake up. Yeah. <laughs> Can, yeah what would that yeah. look like to maybe, what's that day look like? What's that person look like with the growth mindset that might not have routine? To me, that's crazy for them. Yeah. No, because ultimately... Someone with a growth mindset is just someone who believes that they can change in a certain domain, right? And I say a certain domain because 
one of the huge misconceptions I see, especially on social media, is that you either have a growth mindset about everything or you have a fixed mindset about everything. Oh, okay. And that's not true at all. You can absolutely have a growth mindset when it comes to changing your morning routine, but have a fixed mindset when it comes to progressing in your career. So it's totally dependent on the thing that we're looking at. So to me, someone who has a growth mindset isn't dependent on whether or not they have like a routine, a schedule, anything like that. Maybe it's that most people who have more of a growth mindset tend to err towards doing stuff like that. But then it's also kind of like it's a chicken or the egg situation, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But so that's why I, I preface with that is that I don't think like you must have this morning routine or you must do whatever in order to have a growth mindset. Because truly at the end of the day, it's just about whether or not you actually think that things are changeable and you're capable of, you know, facing obstacles and continuing to work through those to reach your goals. And you truly, truly in the back of your mind know like I can, I have the ability to make these changes. That's a growth mindset. Okay. So how you operate throughout the day, like that could vary depending on the person, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. Growth mindset, would you say those folks are more um, visualizers by nature? Um, That's a good question. So what's interesting is like what we know as far as the research on visualization, mm-hmm. very, very good from a stress reduction perspective, Um anxiety-reducing perspective, depression-reducing. I mean, if you think about it, like, you're sitting and you're visualizing, like, what you want to achieve, like, especially, like, within, like, the sports realm, like, really huge yeah. for players to, like, yeah. think about, like, making the basket, whatever. Um, don't ask me to talk too much about sports. Making because- the basket. <laughs> See? <laughs> making the basket. Casey's getting buckets on the Grower Die podcast right now. <laughs> making the basket. I'm thinking of a basket weaver. And I was like, sports basket. Oh, she's talking about basketball <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. anyway very popular they hit the touchdown. <laughs> they hit the touchdown yeah that'll be next um anyway so in that realm that the sports stuff you know that stuff uh, very popular over there yeah. but what we know from the research when it comes to goal pursuit mm-hmm. is that just visualizing your success is actually not that beneficial because really hang on you're sh- Cheating on my parade right now. But listen, you may do this differently. Okay. So, and it's really good, like I said, to like get you get in the zone, you know, calm down, feel good. And like those things could then indirectly be the reason why you are successful, right? Okay. Why you make the basket. <laughs> How you make the touchdown. How you hit the touchdown. <laughs> so, like, yes, that could be like an indirect thing here, right? Yeah. But like what we know about actual goal pursuit is that something like, for instance, an example would be mental contrasting, and this is a well-validated technique to essentially take visualization to the next level. So the let me see if I can remember like oh the acronym and everything. It's WOOP is the acronym. So W O O P, and the W is for wish. So that's kind of like the visualization piece. You know, like what is the ideal thing that we're looking for? What do you want to achieve? And then we're looking at O for obstacle, O for outcome, and then P for planning. Wish, obstacle, outcome, planning. Correct. Yes. Write that down. That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> Wish, obstacle. <laughs> so with that, though, it's like, okay, so we're taking this like visualization piece and then also t- like visualizing the shit too, the obstacles, the stuff that's in the way, the inevitable hardships that are going to come along the way. And then thinking about, okay, now knowing this is my ideal situation, here's all the difficult stuff that I'm planning to face too. Here's the outcome 
that I desire. Now, what plan do I need to put in place in order to get there? So it's kind of like a more full-fledged situation rather than just like, oh, I see myself making the basket, (laughs) you know, and I know what it feels like and I know what to be there and I can hear the crowd cheering and like all those things. Again, not that that's not beneficial, but when we're actually, especially like working with clients or something like that on their health and fitness journeys, like working through the W-O-O-P and like Mm -hmm. using this mental contrasting rather than just like, well, just visualize your results, how you feel there and think about that every single day. There's like another aspects to it. So that's what I say. You probably do a lot of that too. You probably think about the stuff that is inevitable to come up and like how you're going to plan around that in order to get to that thing. I've always gotten a little bit of, of a high out of the obstacles. So my mm-hmm. visualization, um, one of my favorite words first and foremost is resilience. And it's not because I have this insane resilience. It's not like, of course we've, I mean, I'm 30. How old are you? 30. We're 30. We've <laughs> been through shit. Like <laughs> things have happened in life, right? Yes. <laughs> If you didn't have some resilience, probably wouldn't have made it <laughs> to well, this fair. point. Um, I, I I love the term resilience because we get to constantly it's it's a tool we can constantly forge, and we constantly get to work on. I I find the obstacles to be such a high um, example. My last prep uh, when I competed in November, it was around September or such. I was within eight weeks out, and I, I had some gut issues pop up. And, um, I had never experienced that before. Mm. And, um, what that drove me to do, I was like, okay, it was like day three. And I was like, something's going on. This isn't like a one-off. I communicated it with, with uh, the coach I was working with and we chatted about it here and there. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to become an absolute expert on how this thing works, like all the way, uh-huh. like far beyond like where I was at the time, like diagnosing and, and understanding gut issues, far deeper than mm-hmm. that. Like what's actually happening? What's it look like? Mm-hmm. What's it? And so, so then my visualization as I learn this becomes, what am I feeling? Okay. Now I know what the physiology of this looks like. So like, this is kind of where the issue is now. What uh-huh. ties into this, this, this spot mm-hmm that I'm feeling or the side effects that I'm feeling with it. And like, so visualization to me isn't winning the show. I mean, I do some of that on cardio, right? Visualization to me is like what's happening in this, in this uh-huh. small intestine yeah. that's not operating full function and learning the physiology, learning what interacts, allow me to work past that visualization, actually have an outcome mm-hmm. that I need to take, right? If you're someone who you don't have the basket to make, you don't have this bodybuilding show, you like, you're just kind of working towards a goal that like you say, like you say out loud, but there's not going to be any crowd reaction. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be this prize money at the end. There's no glory. Mm-hmm. It's just a self-confidence boost. It's just an ego drive. It's just proving someone wrong or yourself right. How do you find motivation to practice? Number one, the discipline. And also, by the way, I love the term motivation, actually. Ross completely changed my mindset on that. I used to hate it. I love it now. How do you find the motivation to practice the discipline? How do you find the motivation to practice the W-O-O-P? What can you, what can you do when it's like, well, it's like kind of a goal. But there's no glory at the end of it. People, I feel like people love the glory. I love glory. 
<laughs> people must because I do. Yeah. <laughs> people have to. Like, I think it's great. My ego loves glorification. <laughs> okay, so first thing, I actually want to just like quickly rewind to when yeah. you were talking about the gut health stuff because yeah. you were a perfect example of a growth mindset with all of that, right? So pat on the back. That was great. Good job, Justin. Glorification <laughs> of my ego. This is what I needed. Bring Podcast it. over, five-star rated and review. <laughs> Did you guys know he's the mayor of Austin? The mayor of Austin. We haven't even told them yet. I have so many policies that are coming. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> so with that said, you like the you saying like the obstacles are what makes me most excited. And like that's what I lean into and that's what I gravitate towards. Like that is – that should be everyone's goal here. Mm -hmm. Like literally like get excited when shit gets hard. Yeah. And like that is something that I have really been able to hone in on for myself and I notice it where I'm like – I had a coach quit recently and I'm like, okay, how are we going to figure this out? Yeah. What are we going to do? Yeah. Like, it's almost like, why am I getting, like, I almost like yeah. take a step back. I'm like, why am I getting excited about something that's supposed to be horrible? Yeah. You know, so. I'm supposed to be sad, but I'm fired up. Oh my God. Yeah. I recently made a very unexpected cross country move to Austin, Texas. And like that. She, was she didn't whole, even tell me. She didn't tell me. She shows up at my Austin. gym. She shows up at the mayor of Austin's gym. And she's like, hey, I live here. I'm like. Okay, fuck me. I didn't need to know. Right? <laughs> Who cares about me? We haven't been friends for six years now. Right? What? Anyways. Anyway, I'm, so like a lot of these things that like I'm normally. I'm not pissed about it anyway. <laughs> salty at all. <laughs> all of these things that normally would be really difficult in general for a lot of people. And honestly, me probably five years ago, mm -hmm. I noticed I'm like, wow, I'm like, this is really a growth mindset exemplified, right? So the more you can lean into the difficult things, because it's also, I'm sure you can understand this, the reason we get excited is because we know what's on the other side yeah. of that is awesome. Yeah. So whatever shit you're putting me through right now, like bring it on because what's on the other side is what I can't wait for. Yeah. So like that is really important, something I just wanted to point out for you. But on the notion of, what was the other question now? We were talking about um, people who don't have the glory or yeah. aren't seeking the glory. Yeah. Um, so everyday people who are not maybe working towards a bodybuilding show don't have um, these like huge massive goals that require, you know, a deadline and an audience or something like that. How are we staying motivated, dedicated, et cetera? So I think this is a motivation conversation in a way. And what's interesting is that I'm going to kind of almost play devil's advocate yeah. in a way because the shows, the getting on stage, the cash prizes, those are all external motivators. So what's great about you is that you have a lot of internal motivation too. Like this is stuff you absolutely fucking love. Yeah. Like you would likely be doing everything you're doing right now, whether or not you're stepping on stage. 100%. Right. So, but not everybody is you. So a lot of times what we see is that people are like, oh, this external extrinsic motivator, getting on stage, winning the money, you know, um, I'm going to a wedding. So I want to look good. Like whatever that is, it's a very short term motivator. So it can get you started or get you started and get you going for a short period of time. But without that intrinsic motivation, you're it's going to continue to fall flat unless you have to keep seeking another external motivator, which eventually gets exhausting mm -hmm. if you're not doing it because you actually just enjoy it. And it's something for you. Right. So that said, kind of tying this into your question, finding that intrinsic motivation is so, so important. And there's different different levels of motivation. And this is where I talk a lot about how people are like, oh, I need more motivation. I need more motivation. I need more. It's not that you need more. You just need 
more of the right kind. Okay. So more motivation, like glory, yeah. money, stage, looking good in a bikini. You don't really want more of that. You want more of like figuring out how you can actually enjoy this stuff and why it's actually personally meaningful to you. And that is like, you know, people talk about find your why. Like that's from a research perspective, we're looking at intrinsic motivation here. And as a coach, like you should really have the tools to be able to help your clients uncover that intrinsic motivation. Like that's the secret sauce really. So yeah, that's kind of like my thought. Would you say- Intrinsic motivation doesn't exist without enjoyment. So intrinsic motivation at its purest form is enjoyment. It's I do this because I like it. So that said, motivation kind of falls on a continuum from a motivation, meaning you have no motivation to do it, to extrinsic motivation. That's all those like flashy things we just talked about. Mm -hmm. And then there is introjected, identified, and integrated Mm -hmm. And those are kind of in between your extrinsic and your intrinsic. And you're moving towards more self-determination. This is all coming from self-determination theory. Mm -hmm. So the more self-determined you are, the more likely you are to be successful and feel motivated and continue to want to pursue your goals. So intrinsic motivation is that enjoyment. It's I'm doing this for myself. But there's also like identified extrinsic it's technically extrinsic but identified motivation Mm -hmm. is more or less i think this one is just me like literally going off memory (laughs) (laughs) so um this one i believe um is related to like things that you identify with Mm -hmm. so you're doing it because i identify as an exerciser and someone who take care takes care of myself so I'm motivated to go to the gym because of that. So you can see how that is getting closer to this, like, I enjoy it and further away from, like, I'm doing this for something or someone else. That's fascinating. So prize money for a show is far lower on the continuum of motivation than I identify as a bodybuilder. 100%. It's fascinating because, I mean, I'm looking back at my line of work and I'm like, yep. That absolutely falls so. in line. Well, once you get the money, then. I don't, or like people like, I want to be a pro. Like what? Mm. That's not, that's not a goal. Yeah. That's not, that's not an actual, uh-huh. it's not an actual thing. Um, like what you're, you're. Also like really putting how, how, all how your I, eggs in one basket too. Once you get is. the pro card, then what? It is. Like you suck again. Yeah. You're never going to be like a good pro. Right. You never like. I want people who are like, I just want to see how far I can take this. I want to see how far I can go as a bodybuilder. Like wherever I end up, like I end up, like I'll give you my best and you know, yada, yada. Um, That's absolutely fascinating. What is your definition of motivation? Just Casey's definition of motivation. Hmm. I mean, honestly, just having the drive to do something and Mm -hmm. desire to do it. Drive and desire to do something. Basic definition. Ross and I talked about motivation on the podcast a while back, and I, at that time, just didn't like the term. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you know, you don't like the term because of what it's been used as. And he's right. Mm -hmm. Motivation is something that's used as a cop-out by some people, uh, by a lot of people. Um, Motivation is something that can obviously be fleeting, What I'm hearing from you on the continuum is that motivation can be something that shows up every single day because you have the self-desire to do it. And, like, that's what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. I have the self – like, 
I love getting up at five ten in the morning. Like I, I love that. I love being up before anyone else. I open my window and I look at all the other high rises and no, like three people, I can see 400 people's houses from where I live and like three lights are on. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I feel like I'm winning. Yeah. Does like everyone, motivation. does everyone have that? Does everyone have that about something? Or are there people that are just a motivated yeah. across the board everywhere? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would hope not. Yeah. I would hope so. I Listen, everyone's motivated to like drink water and eat food every day, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the bare necessities. Correct. We're all motivated to do something. Okay. But I would say, yeah, I mean, it really like depends on the person, the environment. Like we could go all of the things, right? And like what cultivates you to actually want to be motivated to do other things. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is still work. You know, I'm pretty sure you didn't always get so excited to get up at 5, 10 in the morning, right? (laughs) There's things that happened in your life that got you to this place that like, this is something that I enjoy. And I've cultivated this intrinsic motivation for myself. And now it like, it is steadfast. It does not matter if I win the show or not, or get the money or not, or get the glory or not. I'm stoked to be up at 5, 10 in the morning, you know? Would it be accurate to say, given neuroplasticity possibilities in the brain, I don't want to use the term everyone, but everyone, let's say not, let's say 98% of the people, right? Cause there's always the outliers. Anyone who's in the, the, the traditional sense of the bell curve, not that. Yeah, you notice that I have a hard extremist. time speaking in absolutes being I know, a researcher. <laughs> I know. I know. And I'm, tr- I'm trying to tread around that. I'm trying to respect it very carefully. If we're on, if we're in the normal range of the bell curve, everyone could develop intrinsic motivation to at least somewhere in their life mm-hmm. have a growth mindset that could truly change their lives. A hundred percent. Yes. Everyone is capable of it. There is nobody here that is incapable of cultivating a growth mindset and incapable of cultivating intrinsic motivation somewhere. Looking at the bodybuilding community, there's a lot of people doing this for the external validation, which we just discussed is very low on the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming there's another realm of fitness they would simply fit better in that might give them that get up every single morning and really chase this, the more intrinsic motivation. Everyone wants to do a show. Mm-hmm. And like everyone wants this like glitz, glam, and glory that they think is going to happen. Like what's going to happen is like you're going to prep, you, you have this visualization of what the crowd's going to look like, and like you're going to step on stage in your bikini and 10 people are going to be in the crowd because like everyone are left. <laughs> I'm being a hundred. Like I'm, I really hate to burst anyone's bubbles, but like, that's how things operate here. That's why bikinis last at night. It's it's the the midnight, the midnight finishes (laughs) wake me up when September ends. Right. Um, there's somewhere else that they could potentially be placing their efforts because we get into this reverse diet phase in the reverse diet phase. I find out who's about it and who's not Mm. like, Anyone can get in shape for a show. And I truly say that meaning like anyone can, like you can find the motivation to like, I want to try this out. I really want to look good here. I want to nail my posing. Um, I want to show out for my ex who dumped me or like whatever. Right. Anyone can find that, but you find out who the real motherfuckers are in that reverse phase and like how they handle themselves. Cause it's very, very, very difficult. 
at that point, I would assume at the end of a contest prep, I would assume given how depleted all of our energetic systems are that our brain malleability might be slightly elevated. Maybe habit forming could be a little bit easier there. We're in a very susceptible place. We're in a very vulnerable place. Do you think there's a plausibility that that could coexist at the end of a prep? You could easily form a habit. You could potentially easier form a habit. You yes, probably never maybe. thought about that. Yeah, I haven't, but I... I think maybe there's um, some really cool research on something called the fresh start effect. And it's this idea like this is where people like, oh, don't do a New Year's resolution. That's stupid. You'll never do it. Like, look at the percentage of people that drop off, whatever. But there are so many more people that start and actually are successful mm -hmm. at the beginning of the year because this is like a temporal landmark mm -hmm. is what they call it. So it's a, a period of time that is actually meaningful in some mm -hmm. capacity. First day of the year absolutely is one of those. Could be your birthday. Could be the start of the month. Mm -hmm. It could be the first day after your show. Mm -hmm. You know, so wherever that temporal landmark is, you are, it's a, you're in a better place to create that fresh start effect. And people are better at staying motivated and sticking to things if they are doing it on those temporal landmark days. So that's where my brain goes of like, why that could be beneficial and they might be better like primed in a way to do things different. And also, oh, what's it called? Habit discontinuity mm -hmm. is this idea that if something changes in your life, whether you move, you start a new job, you start a new relationship, maybe, yeah, you just like finished a 20 week prep, you stepped on stage and now it's kind of like, now what? Mm -hmm. Things have shifted in like your day to day. People typically, I talked a lot about this during the pandemic because everyone's like lives shifted so much. People are really averse to like more change during that time. Like I got enough going on. Like I don't need to add anything else to the mix, but that's actually the best time to start putting new habits into place and taking a step back and thinking, what do I want my day-to-day -day look to look like? How do I want to feel? What do I want to accomplish? What do I want to do? Because all your shit's shaken up anyway, mm -hmm. and you're working to rebuild it in some capacity. Now is a really good time yeah. to do that. So I actually think, granted, no research on any of this, and no yeah. one will ever fund research like this anyway, <laughs> but people who are ending their show, moving into a reverse diet, like whatever that next game plan is, that's actually a really good time mm -hmm. To start to establish new habits and what you want things to look like, how you want to feel, what you want to work towards. And yeah, for all of those reasons, the temporal landmarks, habit discontinuity, and the fresh start effect. It's evidence-based. Never heard of the fresh start effect. It makes a ton of sense. I really like that. It's like the let me start on Monday mm -hmm. type situation. Just don't do it every Monday. I, yeah, <laughs> please. <laughs> <laughs> I believe after a bodybuilding competition, after a prep – especially after the show day, like you wake up Sunday morning and you're in a complete trough of dopamine. <laughs> you're on the, f you're mm -hmm. through the floor. Like you don't think about that next day. That's not the day that you, uh, or the day that you've thought about the day that you visualize mm -hmm. the, the date that's been in the background on your phone, the date that you've sent out to a million people, come to my show, check out my show, Instagram posts, won the class, whatever. You don't think about the next morning, mm -hmm. what you do right away my opinion, you're in a dopamine trough. We, we, we know that through elevations of dopamine is where people can, uh, well, you can habit form through that. You also just simply get high off life <laughs> through, through elevated dopamine. You can force that, my opinion, to happen very easily in that time frame because it's already so low. Mm. But it gets sticky. 
if you wake up and you have some donuts, well, of course that's going to drive your dopamine. <laughs> that drives your dopamine in an off-season phase when you're fat, mm-hmm. too, Like let alone when you're peeled out of your mind, right? Mm-hmm. If you wake up and you hit your cardio and you realize, damn, like, I feel better after that, and you get to hydrate, you know, after dehydrating, if, if that's what you had to do, and you get to enjoy an omelet. <laughs> like, when's the last time you got to just have an omelet? And like, you, you know, you can start fresh to the fresh start effect. You can start fresh with making the choices that are conducive to improvements right away rather than I have to now break these habits because I've had donuts last five mornings because I couldn't stop following food pages on Instagram and looking at them through my prep. But again, back to the neurons that fire together, stick together. And so now, well, the last five days, you know, we had donuts upon waking up every morning and we felt so much better after those donuts. I'm having insane pumps in the gym. Like you would have insane pumps off an omelet too. <laughs> like at that point, you're <laughs> yeah, hydrated. Right. Like, Anything you, you know, your it. food's coming back up. Um, <laughs> Now you're now your neurons you're waking up are like donut time, like it's already starting. It's plasticity, and it's it, mm-hmm. you're getting a, an effect out of that. That reverse phase is so important because you're either stacking habits that you're gonna have to break down later on, or you're stacking habits to get you closer to a goal. And I think where you fall on the continuum of motivation mm-hmm. is kind of dictating what comes next. When you're down here, like I see these people. All I, I care about is stepping on stage. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I had one who was working with me this year. I haven't heard from her in like four weeks. Mm, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't know what's happening there. <laughs> but like got off stage, didn't do the way she wanted, and it's just been a sh- struggle ever mm-hmm. since. And, you know, then there's some that they just get off the next day and they're like, how do we improve? And mm-hmm. like, where do we go from here? And, you know, it's 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 the sliding continuum. Have you, if if you were trying to start fresh, you're trying to scrap down the old and end with the new. Where do you look to to start? What are some bullet points that you have to have in line to set yourself up for the best success? Do you have to have this clear vision? Do you have to have this clear-cut timeline? Mm-hmm. Do you have to have a clear-cut goal? Or can the goal just be formed along the way, but you're just going to take steps to work towards that? Mm-hmm. Where Where do you start? Let, let me add one more thing. I'm asking this place of I'm a huge extremist. So I'm just like, I want to win the next time out. And then I just, like, I just like, <laughs> that's, <it. laughs> that's all I need. But I, I, like we've alluded to a few times, I don't operate the same uh-huh. as some other people. So wh- yeah. where do you start? I mean, I definitely think the whole just start somewhere and then figure out as you go is probably not the best route. I definitely think getting really specific is important and getting really clear. I actually was talking to Lauren, if you're listening, I was talking to Lauren yesterday. Um, Lauren Conlin, I'm sure you probably Yeah, absolutely. I've heard heard through you and um, Chanel follow her on great stuff. Yes. Yeah. Good friend of mine. And we were talking about like some goals that she has for herself. And she's like, I just don't know what direction to go. And there's like so many options and all these things. And I was like, well, you really need to get clear on what the thing is that you want. And then the direction will become more evident. Right. So I do think like getting as clear as humanly possible on that goal is it's just so much more helpful because otherwise then you do get into the the swing of things and you're like, oh, well, then what decision will get me closer to that? But I don't really know if that's exactly what I want. Maybe it kind of I could go this way and have that thing. And now you're like 
fuck it, I don't want to do this at all anymore because this is just too confusing and I don't know where I want to go. Correct, correct. So getting really clear, I think, is important. Um, I think obviously something that you can measure, you can measure your progress, like whatever that looks like. So you can actually understand, like, am I getting closer to my goal or not? Because if you never know, like, you're also not going to be very motivated to continue. Mm -hmm. Um, I think as far as like timeline goes, what's interesting is that I think in the realm of health and fitness, like, when you think about like smart goals, right? They say, oh, you should have them to be time-based. And I don't really think that that's all that great. As we know, you can't always predict what like your body is going to do or like what life's going to throw your way. And like, oh, now I haven't lost 10 pounds in the six months because my mom died. I'm a failure. Like, yeah. no. So I think timely is a better way to look at it. So thinking about like taking stock of where you're currently at and like what actually makes sense for your current state and where you're currently at and then figuring out like what the next step would be from there to get to where you're trying to go that clear end goal destination um something else i'll add here too just like some really interesting research because especially i think in the health and fitness space we hear this a lot like keep your focus on that long-term goal that clear outcome like always focus on that focus on that focus on that put it on your background Mm -hmm. sticky notes all over your house like Mm -hmm. always keep it in focus we hear that a lot there's been a lot of mixed research on whether or not that's actually helpful. So like constantly focusing on that thing, even if it's like two years off Mm -hmm. for some people, for a lot of people that can actually start to feel unmotivating because you're so far away. It's like Mm -hmm. every single day you feel like I've hardly done anything to get closer. And there's other research that supports that like, actually, yeah, that is really helpful to like look at your long-term goal and focus on it. So Different researchers came in and said, like, what the hell is going on here? How do we have studies that are showing, like, clear evidence in both directions that, yes, you should focus on these long-term goals or no, you shouldn't? And then they did research on it and found this kind of links back to that idea of being, like, more timely with your goal setting is that people who are, let's say, we'll use 12 months just for the sake of ease. Mm -hmm. If you're in maybe one, like, month one, two, three, four, five of this 12-month goal – Focusing on what they call sub-goals, like small goals along the way, like things that you can win on a week-to-week basis, month-to-month basis. You can say, yes, I did that. Yes, I did that. Focusing on those things is much more important than focusing on that long-term goal. Once you get a little bit closer, you can kind of like see that light at the end of the tunnel. It mm-hmm. feels a little bit more like, oh, I can grasp that. I can see it. It seems manageable, that long-term goal. Switching your focus then to that long-term goal and less about the like week-to-week goal, month-to-month goal is more helpful. So the answer is they're both helpful, just like the research shows, but it matters where you're at sort of in your journey, if that makes sense. Fascinating. It, it makes so much sense. I could listen to you talk about this stuff literally all day. I really I could. live here now. So. I, I know. I know. So I literally <laughs> can listen to you talk about this all day. I have one note to add on that, and then I want to slightly switch conversations a bit. Um. Five years ago, I started working with the um, Stephen who runs. He's he, he runs all the operations for all of the companies I'm involved with. Um, I'm not just a bodybuilding coach. Um, he's like, "What's your goal?" And I was like, "I want to personally make a million dollars a year myself." And he said, "That's not a goal." <laughs> he's like, "How many clients do you need to have bodybuilding coaching to make a million dollars?" I was like, "I don't know." And he's like, "You don't have a goal." You just have a desired outcome mm. that you would really like to achieve. And so he's like, how much is a million dollars a month? And I'm, I'm, I'm like decent at quick math. It's really weird. And I was like, it's like $85,000 a month. He's like, okay, how many clients do you need to have? I don't know. He's like, how much money do you need to make every single day? So to make a million bucks a year, you got to make around $3,000 a day, roughly. A little bit less. That's not bad. Not bad. 
It's not bad. <laughs> yeah. Like truly. Um, so you make three thousand dollars a day. Uh, how many clients do you have to have for that? Well, there's you know obviously a number for that. If you have you know this many automatic payments go through every day, then you're making three thousand dollars a day, and you do that throughout a year. Like oh, you made a million bucks, right? Well, when you put when you run those numbers as a bodybuilding coach, you realize, oh man, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. This isn't possible. It's it's not that it's impossible to do, but it's, it would take a lot of time to be able to service all that. And then, what good is a million bucks? That's why I started venturing out into other places and whatnot. Right. Um, my end goal is I want to have a family that I'm, that is able to have the coolest life of all time. Right. Like that's what I want. Like I think that sounds really cool. Um, we broke that goal down into, and now we have it with all the companies we have. I have a financial goal that I want to hit every year. So every single day, I get a report on how much money each company made. And then there's obviously a percentage split mm-hmm. and how much money I made mm-hmm. at the end of every day now. So every single day, I have this measurable mm-hmm. of, well, did I do the job or not? Well, when I don't do the job, you got to make up for it if you still want to achieve this goal. And so now I know every day what I have to do. It's like in this invigorating, it's anxious when I get the text. <laughs> every day. <laughs> every day. Not on weekends. Don't freaking text me on weekends. We'll cover that on Monday. <laughs> but every day. Um, and it's really helped me yeah. a lot. So to your point, breaking this down into extreme micro goals, because mm-hmm. now, you know, we have the whole three-year plan, five-year plan, 10-year plan of financial goals and stuff. 10-year plan, like I wouldn't be a billionaire. <laughs> That's not my actual 10-year plan, but it'd be nice. <laughs> it'd be really nice. Um, I'm listening to you talk and I'm like, you're an expert in what you do. Like expertism, expertise. Expertism is better. Yeah, expertism. We'll make it up today. <laughs> God pod special. We're making up words. But she has a PhD. It's fine. Um, you know what? You know what my favorite thing is when people comment like, "Well, you're not a doctor." But no, I have them on the podcast. <laughs> Honorary. If she, if she shakes her head yes, then what I'm saying is law. <laughs> no, okay. So, so I'm gonna see you talk. Great expertism um, <laughs> in your realm of work. If I asked you, Casey, what do you do for work? I hate answering that question. It's so annoying. I, <laughs> I actually get this. I, I am taking Spanish lessons. One okay. of my life goals is to be fluent in Spanish. Okay. And we're talking about, you know, like asking people like what their profession is and having like a conversation around their profession. Mm-hmm. So my Spanish instructor asked me like in Spanish, you know, what would you do for work? And I was like, uh, in Spanish, I can't really say it in English. But it's funny because, like, I also like I saw my grandma recently, and she's like, "What do I tell people when they ask me what you do?" And so, what I say is that I own a health and fitness coaching company, and I also run a certification for health and fitness professionals. And everything that I do combines health and fitness from a perspective of science, science-based work in nutrition, exercise, and psychology. So that's still a mouthful. So I, I usually stop at the, I have a health and fitness coaching company and I run yeah. a certification. Yeah. Um, but my goal really is to just continue to intertwine the worlds of psychology and fitness. Well, they're getting very intertwined now. The research of gut health to mental health is very touchy subject for some people. It's something I've believed for quite some time. I'm assuming you've believed it for quite mm-hmm. some time. There's a very close mutual friend of ours who I've discussed it with him. For pretty sure I got it from Sam. 
I'm pretty sure I got it from him, <laughs> to be honest with you. I, we were talking about this a long forever time ago. ago. Yeah. Like, literally forever ago. I remember I had phone calls forever ago. Um, how is this going to impact the approach from psychologists, psychiatrists, to mindset coaching? How is this tie with the physiology? It's a direct tie that we have now to anxiety, to depression, to um, potentially ADHD. How is this going to change the treatments and, and the operations? Because my current understanding, Casey, is <laughs> – see, I get a little – I'm getting a little nervous about some – I'm, I'm treading very carefully right now. <laughs> my observation is we're getting very close to being able to say that – mental health outcomes could be a direct result of our gut microbiome or where our internal health is. How do you feel about that when I say that? I feel like what's really cool that's happening in the space right now is the recognition of how important what we think and how we operate on a day-to-day -day basis and the actions we choose and the way we think about ourselves and say things to other people about ourselves, all of this stuff from a psychological perspective, it's really cool to see that people are starting to take it more seriously. Yeah. And that's, I mean, even like, I know this data, like Google search trend data, as far as mindset coaching goes, mm -hmm. has skyrocketed in the last few years. Like when I was getting my PhD and this stuff, nobody was talking about mindset on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, everyone's a mindset coach. And I'm like, yeah. okay, but um, yeah. hi, can you listen to me for a yeah. second? <laughs> <laughs> can I say something? <laughs> yes, can I say something, please? I do have a PhD in it. Yeah. But, um, so I think it's really cool that we're going this direction. I do think, I mean, it's, yes, it's very evident that gut health does play a role for sure. And we know like, oh my God, it's like cortisol is also just like the most clear connection. Like, you being psychologically stressed out raises a physiological marker in your body. The end. Yeah. Like, it is just a clear, direct connection. Like, stress shows us exactly how this works. And then, obviously, we also know what happens when you're chronically stressed with your gut health mm -hmm. and any other physiological marker that you have. You know, call it insulin, call it A1C, whatever. Oh, it's all very much interconnected, right? So, I think... It's incredibly important. I'm also incredibly biased in this area, but I am excited to see that people are actually taking it more seriously. And it's not just, especially like in the health and fitness coaching space, people are less just, oh, just to hit these macros. Oh, just do this. Oh, just do it. It's like, no, actually there's like this foundational level of understanding of human behavior that is most important mm -hmm. and understanding human decision-making and mindset and psychology and behavior change and all this stuff is just as, as important as hypertrophy and like mm -hmm. what that looks like, you know, mechanical tension and all of these things that we love to talk about. But yeah, so that's kind of my perspective. I feel like you're ahead of the curve um, because of your understanding of physiology and because of your just overall involvement with the fitness industry. There's a lot of people with your background that have zero there and oh, they're going to have to adapt mm -hmm. or they're, I mean, they're already behind if they haven't adapted mm -hmm. to this point. You, let's say you have, a, and this isn't how, or my understanding of what you do, this is not how Casey takes clients, but let's say you have someone come to you. Let's say, let's talk about a friend. Let's say you have a really close friend that comes to you and they're just not well mentally. How, 
early on in this conversation, are we going to talk about physiological happenings? Are you experiencing bloating, cramping, mm-hmm. chronic constipation? Um, how are your bowel movements? At what point of your conversation does that come up? I think not in the specifics of like, oh, you said you're depressed. Okay, well, how's your digestion? No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, not right off the yeah, rip. Right, it wouldn't go not that a good way. Approach. But I also like, I think ha- we'd have that conversation of like, well, well, what is going on? Tell me more about the situation. Like, oh, is like, are you having any like physical health symptoms along with this? You know, like I think it can come up pretty naturally with that. Or honestly, a lot of times if you're asking the right questions, the client, the friend, whatever, yeah. is going to share that information anyway. And it's like, yeah. oh, I've also been sleeping terribly and I'm not, I've lost my appetite and all of these things like that kind of comes up in conversation anyway, or it should if you're asking the right questions and you're being compassionate in that way. But um, yeah, so to me, I mean, it's just, I think you're right where like I maybe haven't even seen myself that way before that I just automatically assume that there's a connection. Whereas, yeah, there's a lot of coaches who have no idea like what to do when it comes to like a psychological behavior change perspective and how that can be intertwined. And then there's academics in psychology who would ever think for a second, like, oh, how does this relate back to like gut health and physical health, you know? Mm -hmm. So me sitting here where I'm like, I've been in both of these worlds for so long at this point, it is just like, they are one, (laughs) but there are so many people who are very much still on in their own camps. Can I ask a controversial question? Absolutely. Is obesity a mental illness? I don't think it's a mental illness um, unless there's also a mental illness present, but then it be kind of becomes the chicken or the egg again. You know, did the obesity yeah. cause the mental illness or the mental illness cause the obesity? So with that said, kind of this actually brings me back to what I was mentioning before about obesity being classified as a disease. This was 2010 or 2013, the American Medical Association decided obesity is now classified as a disease. Great for a lot of people from like an insurance perspective, because now a lot of like surgeries and things like that, medications can be covered underneath your insurance if you are now diagnosed with obesity. Really bad, speaking of controversial, really bad from a mindset perspective, because now we're telling people that like, oh, you just have this thing. Now you just own this. This is just what you are. And there is, this is not just me speaking from opinion. We have research on this very subject matter. And we know that once people are told you have obesity and it is a disease, you have this disease, Mm -hmm. they stop trying as hard from a lifestyle factor perspective, Mm -hmm. eating healthy, exercising, because now it's just kind of like, oh, I just have this thing. I need to take a pill. I need to do surgery, like whatever. It's, it becomes less of a something I can change, right? So What we see, again, in the research is that people who believe obesity is a disease and that's something that they have, they end up having a fixed mindset Mm -hmm. about that, that feels like it's something they can't personally change. And that is a really big issue. So this is where it's like at a policy level and like what we're doing at like super, super high up, the American Medical Association making these decisions has this massive trickle down effect from a mindset perspective, which then leads people to move less and eat less healthy. Mm -hmm. So I think it's like a very, very important discussion. And again, someone will probably comment on this and be like, well, uh, but. Good. We want that. We welcome that. All interaction is good interaction. (laughs) Would you say that the current structure of how life works in America as a child, you go to preschool and then you go to kindergarten, then you get into the schooling system, you go K through 12, you go to university, you finish university, you get into a really low paying job, you work your way, yada, yada, yada. 
would you say we're actively promoting more fixed mindsets and people not thinking outside of the box? Um, speaking personally, I've always been a big dreamer. I've always had this grandiosity of visualizations that this is what my life is going to turn into and this is what the outcomes will be. I grew up low and middle class and I always knew we were I, I one of my fondest um, memories as a child. We had to shop for shoes at Payless, which is very normal. A lot of families have to do that. I was there too. Yeah, like you, you have to. Yeah, it's normal. We're shopping for shoes at Payless. We had a budget. Obviously, I don't remember what the budget was. Um, and I had to find shoes that fit for basketball within this budget. And I remember I was trying shoes on. And I told my dad, one day I'm not going to shop at Payless, Dad. I was this little guy. Just this little guy. He said, oh, yeah, where are you going to shop? And I was like, wherever I want. He still remembers that too. He still remembers that conversation. And like, now you get shop wherever you want, right? Now I get shop wherever mm-hmm. I want. You get shop wherever you want too. It's <laughs> nice, right? <laughs> but through school, I, I kept this. I always had it. I had a teacher, Mr. Barhorst, and he was, you know, a great motivator of mine because he constantly doubted me. And he constantly told me you can't. My guidance counselors in school constantly told me that you can't. Miss Akers was the only one that believed in me and the only one that really Push me to do something um, that was a little bit higher than what everyone else was shooting for. I'm from a real small town. So, like, seeing a small town mentality, very, very real thing. Do you believe that across the board, we're kind of just set up to not think much outside the box, to not shoot for much more, to just kind of continue whatever your family's doing? Yes. Yes, um, and I think... A lot of it operates from a, I mean, this is like a biological conversation in a way because we're operating from a place of what's safe and what's going to keep us like surviving, right? Like that's always what our bodies and our brains are trying to do at the end of the day. And if it's, we have this path carved for you, this is what you need to do. You need to take these classes. You need to get this degree. You need to go here. You do this internship. And like mom and dad did this too. And they, and their parents did that too. And like, this is the way to success. It's like, okay, this is a clear, safe route. I've been told over and over again, this is the way I need to go. It makes sense to go that direction. Right? So I do think there it's carved in a way that people are less likely to think, well, what if I wanted to veer left or what if I want to go right? Because going straight and following this path, it seems like it's a it's a guarantee mm-hmm. to that success, right? And as we know, like there's other ways of doing things that could actually end up better. That doesn't mean that like entrepreneurship doesn't have its <laughs> trials and tribulations. So um, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah, and, and feelings of like being, but we have to like, again, it's it this totally ties back around to like the beginning of our conversation of like leaning into the obstacles and the scary stuff because doing so is what's going to get you further. And like, I mean, I was in that path too. And I was, I was not ready to go to grad school directly out of undergrad, but my parents pushed me and pushed me. It was very much like a, if you're not great at academics. And I mean, it was never even in my mind that I could just stop after a four-year degree. Like it was, you're going to professional school. You need to figure out what profession that is. Right. So I was not ready, but I luckily stumbled upon the mindset lab at NC state and was like, this is really cool shit and really loved it. And I'm so glad I did it. So I guess like, thanks mom and dad. (laughs) But anyway, so did the PhD, did all of that. And then it kind of became, well, big girl job, like what comes next. And 
I knew I didn't want to stay in academia. I knew I wanted to bring the research into the real world. I was coaching at the time while I was getting my PhD. And I was like, this needs to get out there and not just be published in a journal that nobody's ever going to read. Yeah. So that was always a goal of mine. So first it was kind of like, well, then maybe like industry work research, work for Nike, work for Fitbit, work for Weight Watchers on the science team to have like billions of dollars to work with. So I'm not like fighting for grants in an institution. That was kind of my thought process. And I got the corporate runaround from some of those companies and it was months and months of interviews and interviews and flying to New York City and doing all the things and nothing ever coming from it. And I got so frustrated that I said, I have a PhD. I can fall back on it. Fuck it. I'm going to do my own thing mm -hmm. and see how it goes. And I did get one offer from a company locally. I promise this, this story comes to, for a reason. Yep. I got an offer at a company locally at a pharmaceutical marketing agency mm -hmm. to help cultivate essentially like growth mindset interventions for people to like stay on their meds and to understand like why this is important wow. and cool important work yeah. $62,000 a year no and way. and I just got a PhD and I was like so that's like nine years of school and for that. yeah that's I was living in Raleigh North Carolina at the time that was like median like income for households. Yeah. Yeah. So that was super frustrating to me. And it also was kind of like the push that I needed to like, I'm just going to figure this out myself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so fast forward, I had my first full year in business. And the first time I launched my certification made double that salary and right. one launch. That's so awesome. exactly <laughs> double, $124,000. Wow, yeah. And that's where like my eyes really like opened up to the world of entrepreneurship. But I needed to push myself away from go this way, go this way, go this way. Here's this opportunity. Try this. Like the path, like you really have to try hard to veer off that path and then also stay strong because it's not easy ever. <laughs> you continually get pulled back into that vortex. Exactly. There was so many times where like, man, I, things were going okay. Like things were, were fine. But man, it would have been way easier to just like go 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 back on track. Mm -hmm. You're too far away from the trail. There's scary things out there. Magnetic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it really is. And you just gotta like claw in and like fight to keep going forward. That's the path to successful entrepreneurship, though, in my opinion. There's so many people like We've both been around the industry long enough where we've seen so many people come in and like get out mm -hmm. because you just – I, I don't hold judgments on those people. Absolutely not. You get – to be honest, they're probably more sane than me. <laughs> Their mental health is definitely better than mine. <laughs> you just get – there's so much crap. But I would honestly – I would if you're someone who you feel you have – this ability. Um, I'm not a big religious guy, but like the term for it would be like God-given talent, right? Um, if you're someone you feel you have something really special, man, I would just go chase it. I would just go chase it. You still got something to fall back on, right? Exactly. And you really learn hard work and resilience through through entrepreneurship. Absolutely. Every day is a personal development exercise. It is. It is. <laughs> Casey, I appreciate you taking out time to come on. I know you're extremely busy. I know you have a ton going on. We, um, we're going to have more episodes for sure. Cause this was like an intro to what you do and how you operate. There's a lot deeper we can dive. And I love that people got exposed to you today. Um, where can people find you? 
Yeah. So social media, mainly on Instagram. Again, like I said, TikTok, I'm trying, but maybe just don't. Are you just dancing on TikTok? <laughs> <laughs> No, but Instagram is where you can find me. I'm Coach Casey Joe over there. So it's Coach with a C, but Casey with a K and Joe without an E. And (laughs) you've done that a few times. (laughs) I'm on a few podcasts a month. And if you are interested in hearing more about like my programs, products, things like that, you can find me at CaseyOrbitas.com or KJOCoaching.com or HealthMindsetCert.com. Wow. She's all over the place. She's got three (laughs) websites. Holy crap. Casey, thanks so much. Until next time, you guys, if you love Casey, make sure to leave us a five-star rating and review. If you don't, that means you don't love Casey, and that's really sad. That's really upsetting. Until next time, y'all. Peace.